Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories, and we tell stories about everything here on this show, from the arts to sports, and from business to history, and everything in between, including your stories. Send them to OurAmericanStories.com. Our next one is brought to us with permission from the Veterans History Project at the Atlanta History Center. The Veterans History Project provides unedited first-person interviews from men and women who've served our great country. Today, we'll be hearing from Oliver Halley, who will share with us a bit about his experiences in the United States Navy during the Vietnam War. We will also be hearing about the unearthed family secret that would forever change his life. Here's Oliver. I grew up in a small family. My mother and father were only children, so I had no aunts, no uncles, no cousins. And I had two brothers. My older brother, who died in 2009, he was two years older, and my younger brother, who's uh, almost two years younger than I am, he still lives in New York. Um, my father and his family emigrated from Nazi Germany in 1935 or so. And my mother was born in Brooklyn, but her father was born and raised in Germany and came here as a young man. And my mother's mother was born in Brooklyn as well. And we moved to Brooklyn when I was a baby, so I have no memory of where I was born whatsoever. My first memories begin in Brooklyn, and then we moved to Staten Island when I was seven, and that's where I uh, grew up uh, too. 
My father and mother built a legend around our family. Uh, again, I knew that my father and his family had moved from, uh, emigrated from Nazi Germany, but uh, they built a legend around that. And the legend had to do with that uh, his father, my grandfather, who I didn't know, he was killed in a car accident in 1939. I did know that. And he was a prominent surgeon in New York. And the legend was that they resisted the Third Reich. My father was an under, in an underground movement. And um, it was all very romantic. And that was the story that uh, I grew up with. But uh, when I was growing up, um, everybody went in the military. That was just the way it was. A lot of people don't know that the draft began in June of 1940. And it didn't end until, I think, roughly 1975. So even during the peacetime between the Korean War and Vietnam, uh, people were being drafted. In my high school, you know, people either volunteered or went into the military, and it was acceptable. Nobody even thought about avoiding it. If they, got, if they didn't want to join, um, they were drafted and they didn't complain. That's just the way it was. And I grew up in that environment that uh, post-World War II. Used to see a lot of veterans from World War II during parades, it was always a big deal. And it was, it's just what you did. That it was your turn to step up when it came time. So there was never any doubt in my mind I would go into service. And growing up in New York and seeing the ships in New York Harbor, and, um, I was attracted to the Navy. It just, it was just, there was never any doubt that's where I wanted to go. So <clears throat> my friend Kenny, I don't, I don't remember where, but somewhere he heard about swift boats. And I said, what's a swift boat? And he described it as best he could. And I uh, said, I'm going to volunteer for that. I said, well, you know what? I'll volunteer with you. I know we arrived in Vietnam on September 27th, uh, 1969. And when we got off the plane, you see all these sandbags. And we landed in Cameron Bay. Cameron Bay was one of the uh, swift boat bases. And it was the headquarters for Coastal Squadron 1. And then from there, we were going to be farmed out to one of five coastal divisions. And um, I remember seeing the sandbags and seeing, you know, you, you say, wow, we, we are definitely in a war zone. When you saw that, and you saw everybody in fatigues, and you, know, you had Army there, and the Navy, and Air Force, and you say, whoa, now this is the real deal. So that was my impression. So on... Uh, Christmas Eve day, December the 24th, uh, I think it was a C-130 flew us down to Catlow and the boats were already there. And we were happy. So we get there and I remember we were sleeping that night in Catlow in a, some barracks. And I remember the next morning uh, just, I guess it was before the... Um, you know, the truce went into, the Christmas truce went into effect. But it was my first introduction to a B-52 bombing uh, somewhere in the area. I don't know exactly where, but I mean, it was incredible. I, I couldn't believe how the ground would shake and, you know, and it's like, whoa. I mean, it, you know, I hadn't experienced that in Da Nang. In Da Nang, uh, we worked in Da Nang. Marines operated out of i where we were. That's it. And we did work some with the U.S. Marines up in I-Corps along the Kodai River. This particular day, 
again, I don't remember why, but we were transporting Korean Marines, these rocks, to Hoi An. I don't remember, you know, what, you know, why. All I know is somebody, you know, we were given an order, you know, take, pick these uh, rocks up, take them to Hoi An, a few miles up the river. So there was a sergeant and probably, you know, maybe 10 or 12 of these Korean Marines. And we had on board, uh, we had searched a couple of sampans in the river. And I remember, vaguely I remember, that we took several women prisoners because they didn't have paperwork and they may have had some contraband, no weapons, but they may have had contraband. I, I, I don't remember why and it's not particularly important. All I remember is we took them on board and handcuffed them because they had done something uh, and we were going to turn them over to Navy intelligence in Hoi An. <clears throat> so we had these Korean Marines on board too. And these were young Vietnamese women. And I was in the pilot house where I, that's where I normally stayed. When we were moving, I'm in a pilot house. And you've been listening to Oliver Halley recount his early days right up to his enlistment and volunteer enlistment in the Vietnam War. He volunteered for swift boat duty in September of 1969, and everything changed. We'll hear more of Oliver's story here on Our American Stories. Lee Habib here, the host of Our American Stories. Every day on this show, we're bringing inspiring stories from across this great country. Stories from our big cities and small towns. But we truly can't do this show without you. Our stories are free to listen to, but they're not free to make. If you love what you hear, go to OurAmericanStories.com and click the Donate button. Give a little, give a lot. Go to OurAmericanStories.com and give. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors in our lives, big ones and small ones. If we keep them bottled up, boy, that can be a real problem. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest, to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. I know people who've profoundly benefited from therapy, learning everything from coping skills to setting boundaries in their life. You don't have to have experienced major trauma to benefit from therapy. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's safe. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash OAS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash OAS. BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash OAS. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hey. 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. And we continue with Our American Stories and Oliver Halley's story. Let's return where we last left off. So... I'm up in Palace, one of my, uh, you know, um, crew members came up to me and said, Mr. Halley, he said, uh, we got a problem. He said, um, these uh, Korean Marines, they want to rape these women. I said, what? what? He said, yeah, he said, they're eyeing them over and they're pointing and, and, you know, and they're making motions and all this. I said, whoa. So I went back aft and I went up to the sergeant, the he was the senior petty officer, not petty officer, senior ranking guy, enlisted guy. There was no officer. And I'm trying to speak to him in English. I say, uh, you know, I'm pointing to say, you, uh, women, you no touch, no touch, you know? And, you know, no English, no English, no, no, no touch, no touch. And the other guys, the other enlistment, I can see they're getting angry now. They're getting angry. And the sergeant is trying to, you know, even though he didn't speak English, uh, he, he, he understood what I was trying to say. Now he's getting confrontational. So I told my crew members, I said, uh, put the weapons on him, put them on him. And it was, it was tense. It was very tense. They, they, they were determined they were going to have their way, and, and I was determined they weren't. And we made it to Hoi An. As soon as we, oh, and I told the sergeant, I said, you know, you you touch women. I said, your captain, he cock it out you, cock it out your captain, he cock it out. I kept saying that, you know, cock it out you. And um, so anyway, we got to Hoi An, and as soon as we got there, I uh, reported these, the, you know, the sergeant and his troops to, you know, the our intelligence people, and they, you know report wherever it went. I have no idea what happened after that, but fortunately these women, you know, were not assaulted. I, I, it would have been impossible to let that have happened. It's just some things you just can't do, you know. I mean, that's not our American values. It really isn't. I mean, even at that age, I understood that much. That's, that's not who we are as Americans. We don't do that. And uh, Now, to segue into something a little bit amusing, um, I'm back down again in Coastal Division 11, you know, down there in the Gulf of Thailand and the Pacific Ocean area. And my Commodore, uh, Lieutenant Commander Bill Martin, he called me in. 
I was at wherever I was. He called me into headquarters immediately. So I go back. I had no idea what was going on. And he says, uh, he hands me a teletype. And I read this teletype, and my heart sank. And it, <laughs> as best I recall, I wish I had a copy of it, it said something like this. From Commander-in-Chief Pacific to, you know, Commander Coastal Squadron 1, Coastal Division 11, boom, boom, subject of presidential interest. I remember those words, of presidential interest. And I'm paraphrasing here, and it goes on to say as follows. Um, Ruth Halley Gorman, the mother of Lieutenant J.G. Oliver G. Halley, um, Staten Island, New York, uh, has written to the President of the United States, Richard M. Nixon, that her son is not getting his mail, and um, the President has ordered an immediate inquiry to determine why he isn't getting his mail. <laughs> and. Uh, and I was floored because I had never complained to my mother I wasn't getting my mail. That didn't happen. I never said a word that I, I wasn't getting my mail. Nothing. I, I was getting my mail. I, it wasn't a problem. So, so I, I'm, I'm speechless and embarrassed. I mean, this thing went out to the entire Seventh Fleet, this communication of presidential interest. So the Commodore was very sympathetic, and he said, well, we have to respond to this immediately. Um, what do you suggest? I said, well, Commodore, I'm getting my mail. I mean, I don't know where my mother's coming from. I, I mean, I can't pick up a phone or call her and ask her what's going on. So I remember we, we responded that uh, I had been in transit and had been moving around, and uh, apparently the mail hadn't kept up, but uh, there was no problem. Be assured that there is no problem. Everything's fine, and uh, uh, it's okay. So when I got home, um, I have a copy somewhere in a box, I know that, of a letter from a general in the Pentagon. How that works, you know, since I'm in the Navy, but who knows. But anyway, I remember it was a general in the Pentagon who had written my mother that on behalf of the president or something like that, they were looking into uh, why I wasn't getting my mail. Like I say, it was a very embarrassing thing to me. But and I, and I asked my mother when I got home almost a year later, I said, why did you do that? I said, I was getting my mail. Why did you do that? And all I remember her saying is, you weren't getting your mail. Okay. <laughs> um, so I do have, uh, you know, uh, something that is very critical to who I am. And back in the 1930s, um, my maternal grandparents had a correspondence with a woman in Australia named Esther Buck. Esther Buck was a teacher in Australia. And she communicated, or wrote letters, I should say. They, they corresponded only by mail, and we're all of the same, roughly the same age. <clears throat> you remember back then, in the 70s, I'm talking about the 60s and 70s, you had the, that paper, you bought it at the post office. I think they call it fly paper because it was so light. And you would write a letter and then you would fold it. Remember that? You would fold it over and put a stamp on it. But it was so light and you'd send it by airmail because it was cheaper. Back then, if you remember, there were airmail rates versus first class, whereas today there's no distinction. Okay, so 
This correspondence, my, my grandfather, my mother's father, and her mother, they were both educators, as was my mother in New York. And they had this correspondence. They got through the Parker Pen Company. It was just one of those professional things. And, and over the years, they got to know each other only by mail. They had never spoken. So when my grandfather became too sick, my mother picked up the correspondence. So we're talking probably about the late 1940s, early 1950s. So my mother be, wrote to Esther Buck, and they corresponded, you know, maybe once a month, once every couple months. And I remember Miss Buck, that's what I called her, she would send us little trinkets for Christmas, that kind of thing. But again, they never spoke. All of this was by mail, all these years. So now I'm in Vietnam, and it was arranged that I would meet Miss Buck on R&R. And I was lucky, I got two R&Rs. First one was in June of 1970, I went to Hong Kong, and then the second one, the Commodore was really generous about that, went to Sydney. So my mother arranged by mail for me to meet her. So I was pretty excited too, this is a big deal. And the way it was gonna work is I was gonna meet her at her home and then my mother was gonna call while I was there. Now again, we're all of the same age, these young people have no idea, but when you called internationally back then, you had to call the overseas operator, remember that? You called, maybe you don't, because if you never made an international call, it wasn't very common, it was expensive. But you call the international operator, and you'd say, I'd like to place this call to Sydney, Australia. And the international operator would tell you that it might be an hour, might be two, might be three, depending on the traffic, before they could get a line. So the plan was, hopefully it would all fall into place. While I was there, my mother would be calling in. The date was September 8th, 1970. And I, I've written a book, but it pertains to this business I have, this speaking business. And I have a chapter in the book called Life-Changing versus Life-Shaping uh, Experiences. September 8th, 1970. Changed my life forever. Forever. And you're listening to Oliver Halley. And again, we want to thank the Veterans History Project at the Atlanta History Center for this story. And we're going to find out what happened on that day. When we come back, more of Oliver Halley's story here on Our American Stories. Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen. And we continue with Our American Stories and Oliver Halley's story. Let's pick up where we last left off. September 8th, 1970. Changed my life forever. Forever. I don't know why I'm getting emotional, but I think about it. I told you earlier in this interview, in the beginning, that my mother and father were only children. I had no relatives, and, and on my father's side in particular, a lot of mysteries that I never knew the answers to. My father had committed suicide on, Mar- on May the 9th, 1966. I was in college. I was 20 years old. I was a junior in college at the time. And in that book that I wrote, I put in there that, you know, he just couldn't outrun the demons that had chased him from the Third Reich. And he, as I said earlier, he had built up this legend. He was in this German underground movement, and they got into street fights and all of that. Well, it turned out that's all true. That part is all true. What never made sense to me as I got older was... Why would a wealthy family, because my father came from uh, a wealthy family. He was an only child. His father was a very prominent surgeon. And I didn't know until I sent you the story from New York Times. I didn't know until this year, until this year, February of this year, that he had actually been a uh, physician for Kaiser Wilhelm and Tsar Nicholas of Russia. I didn't know that until this year from the New York, and Sue has seen the, the story in the New York Times, 1939, when he was killed in a car accident. So anyway, he had committed suicide four years earlier. And I'm sitting with Miss Buck, and she, she had never married. She was a woman probably in her 70s at the time. And she was so excited to see me. I mean, oh, she was just fluttering here and fluttering there. I, I'm so excited to finally meet somebody from the Halley family after all these years. This is, oh, so happy. Finally, you know, this is wonderful. 
and I can't wait for your mother to call, you know, I'm just so looking forward to that. And then she said as follows. She said, and I don't remember her exact words. I was too stunned, and so I'm close, but this, these are not the exact words. I just don't remember what they were. I wish I did, but I don't. She said something like this. Did your mother ever reconcile with her father for marrying outside the faith? And I looked at Miss Buck and I said, Miss Buck, I don't understand your question. My mother and father, you know, were Protestants. Um, I don't know what you mean by marrying outside the faith. And she said, no, 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 no. She said, your mother was Jewish, she married your father, but I said, my mother's not Jewish. She said, of course she is. And, and she's, my head at that moment exploded. I, you know how you get shocking news? Whatever it is, really shocking news? That's what happened to me. It was like that. Because I had experienced anti-Semitism growing up. I, I grew up a Methodist. But I experienced a lot of anti-Semitism. I don't kid anybody, you know, that I don't know. I look Jewish, okay? I mean, there is a stereotype, and, and I'm one of them. My head exploded. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. So she saw the look on my face, and she stopped short. She says, oh, my God, I hope I didn't say anything I shouldn't have said. And I said, no. I said, I'm glad you did. But she didn't say another word. Well, my mother called in, and we all had a very nice chat, didn't bring any of this up. And Miss Buck was so excited to finally talk to my mother. And I uh, left Vietnam, I think September 23rd, so it was a couple of weeks or so later, and got to San Francisco. And I out-processed uh, from uh, active duty to the reserves. It took, I think, five days. I was at Treasure Island, you know, about an hour a day, you, you know, did administrative stuff, and then they cut you loose. So at the end of the week, uh, I flew from San Francisco to New York. A friend of mine picked me up, and I went to my mother's house until I could find a place to live a couple weeks later. And I'm unpacking my sea bag, and this has really been weighing on my mind. And as I'm unpacking my sea bag, I said to my mother, why didn't you tell us we were Jewish? And she said, what? Where did you get that nonsense from? Those are her words. And I said, Miss Buck told me. And my mother, very uncharacteristically, she was very polished, very educated, very uncharacteristically, she said, Miss Buck is a liar. She didn't talk that way. I said, no. I said, Miss Buck uh, told the truth. And very uncharacteristically, my mother completely broke down. I mean, really broke down crying. And she said, please don't tell your brothers. And I said, I have to. Well. As the years went by, I would try and talk to my mother about this. She shut it down. She'd act like I wasn't even in the room. If I want to change the subject, she'd look up and talk about it. She wouldn't talk about it. Absolutely refused. So I never learned anything from my mother, nothing. 
and she and my father had destroyed a lot of documents. So over the years, it would take me too long to tell and it doesn't fit in with the Vietnam part of the story, so I'll just kind of synopsize it real quickly. I learned a lot on my own um, through reading books, and then when the internet came into being, learned a little bit. And so the bottom line is this. My grandfather on my father's side was Jewish, for sure, 100%. I have the records to support that. He was Jewish, and my maternal, my, my paternal grandmother was a Lutheran. My father was raised a Lutheran. So in the Jewish faith, you know, the bloodline carries on the mother's side, not the father's side. So even though my father was half Jewish, he's, he wouldn't be recognized as Jewish by Jewish people. Um, so that, that comment about, did your mother ever reconcile with her father? In effect, my mother married outside the faith, even though my father was half Jewish. And you've been listening to Oliver Halley and what a story he's telling. And this is just a side story. But these side stories, well, they inform so much about all of our lives. September 8th, the day that changed his life forever. And my goodness, why didn't you tell us we were Jewish? What an identity crisis for this young man. Also, he was learning that everything he ever thought was true. Because he always thought he was Jewish. He looked Jewish. Where did you get that nonsense? The mom said. And my goodness. She then said, Miss Buck is a liar. And he knew. Then he knew for sure that it was true. And then the reality set in. And his mom, well, she just broke down. And she just started to cry, revealing her human side. But never came clean. Never told the real story. And by the way, we, we learned that again and again here on Our American Stories particularly the World War II generation, so many of them just wouldn't come clean about what happened. Maybe it was so horrible they couldn't process it. Who knows what the reasons are? When we come back, more of Oliver Halley's story, and it's a beauty here on Our American Stories. Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. 
Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash concertweek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. And we continue here with Our American Stories. Let's continue with Oliver Halley. So... Um, my, my father and his mother were estranged. I don't know why to this day. That's a secret that'll go to the grave. I will never know the answer to that. It kills me not to know, but, but I'll never know. I do not know. Um, my father would write her letters. She lived in Queens when we lived on Staten Island. My father would write her letters, and I still see this in my mind's eye. They would come back unopened, and there would be a stamp, um, you know, this kind of stamp on the envelope, and it would be of a hand pointing this like this, and it would say, return to sender, refused, with check mark refused. And she died in uh, February 1959, but I never met her. And to this day, I don't know why they were strange. I have no idea. So, that day changed my life forever. When you find out you, uh, there's more to your past and it's very different than you were brought up to believe, um, it, it, that has a profound effect. So that's a life-changing experience. Life-shaping, without question, was my time in the Navy and certainly in Vietnam. I went over to Vietnam. I was 23 years old as an officer in charge of a swift boat. I came home, I was 24. And to have that kind of responsibility at that young age, if that won't shape you, nothing will. Uh, after Vietnam, um, I spent a year trying to get into law school, but working uh, this odd job I had had when I was in high school just to mock time. I got into law school. I began in August of 1971 at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And um, I went through, th went through law school knowing that my career plan was to become an FBI agent. There was never any doubt that's what I wanted to do. I had formed that plan years earlier when I knew I wasn't going to be chief of naval operations, and I figured that out in high school, by the way, <laughs> in high school. So my career in the FBI, you have two tracks you know, the investigative side, and then you can choose to go into management. It's not like the military, you know, it's mandatory promotions here. Uh, you know, people choose in the FBI if they want to go into management, and I, I had no interest in it. After having uh, the experience that I had in the Navy, particularly in Vietnam, I figured nothing could rival that, nothing, nothing, not even close. 
And then, and I love the FBI. My career, I had 28 years, it was a free ticket to a show. I loved it, but uh, to be kind, uh, the best leadership I saw was in the Navy. I, uh, I started late in life with children. I'm married to uh, Molly Johnson Halley. She's from Charleston, South Carolina. She, uh, I met her in New York. She was an FBI agent as well, and she was chief division counsel um, for the FBI office in Atlanta for most of her career, but we met in New York. And I was just short of 41 when my oldest daughter, Caitlin, was born, just short of 42 when my second daughter, Victoria, was born. They're Irish twins. They're 12 days short of a year apart. And then my son is in his fourth year of medical school at Emory. And this is only a coincidence. It was not planned this way. But my son, Tyler, is uh, following in the footsteps of his grandfather, who was an ear, nose, throat surgeon. Um, and that's a coincidence. He didn't do it for that reason. He didn't even really know about it until recently. So. Uh, I'd like to close with this. Um, one of the things that my father did when we lived in Brooklyn, and I was a young boy, and I remember so vividly, on a lot of weekends, he would go into Manhattan, and he was a volunteer for Church World Service. And Church World Service, even to this day, I think, sponsors immigrants. And my father went down there, and you can picture this. These ships coming in from Europe with thousands of refugees. Coming to New York. You had organizations like Church World Service sponsored these people. People who had nowhere to go, no homes, lost families. That had a very profound effect on me. If you read the words, and I know you have, of Emma Lazarus on the Statue of Liberty, me are poor, you're wretched, you're teeming masses, however. And my father and his family, before I was born, obviously, came into New York. I can only imagine what they thought when they saw the Statue of Liberty. So he volunteered his time to help refugees, and one of them came to live with us for several years, Sergei Shelhakov. He was a Russian. He'd been a veterinarian in, in the Russian Army and Russian Cavalry. I, I don't remember whether he was captured or what happened, but either way, he ended up in a refugee camp in Europe after the war. He was on one of these ships. And what I remember is, as he was coming off the ship and people were being processed, my father, I remember the story saying, you know, he's one of mine. He came with him and he lived with us for several years and then for health reasons he moved to Miami but we stayed in touch and I last saw him when I was in the Navy. Uh, our ship was in Fort Lauderdale and I called him and I spent the night with him. A wonderful man. 
wonderful man. He loved this country, what it gave him. He lost everything in the war. He lost his family, everything. I think of my father and all of that, and you say, how can you not give back? You know, how, how can you not do that? This country gave my father and his family a home when they were evicted from NAS. Was the Vietnam War one of those wars like World War II that uh, you know you're fighting to defend your country? Uh, I, I I can't say that it was, and I won't. But but that's not the point. The point was that military service was something that came to be expected and people of my generation, not everybody, obviously we had a lot of people who didn't share my view, but a lot did. You know, we we did our time. We came back from Vietnam. Um, people say, well, you know, do people spit on you or anything? No, no, I never had that. Nobody cared. When I got back, nobody cared. You were a Vietnam veteran, so what? In law school, in my class, we probably had 10 or 15 Vietnam veterans. You know, we, we would talk occasionally. We were probably, you know, we weren't all close friends, but we got along very well. We could at least, if there was anything about the war that was still going on, we could talk about it. You didn't talk about it with other people. They didn't care. It was irrelevant. It meant, it was just, they couldn't relate to it. It was only when Ronald Reagan um, dedicated the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier to the Vietnam missing and I watched it on TV live oh my god that was powerful and Ronald Reagan made it okay to be a Vietnam veteran he was that was the first it was okay then I could wear a t-shirt you know Vietnam veteran I never did before that never I didn't talk about it Not, I didn't talk about it because you know oh I can't talk about it I have bad memories oh I have PTS no nothing to do with that nobody cared nobody cared um, but that, yeah, that was it. So I went on with my life, and life was good. My FBI career was fantastic. It was a free ticket to a show. I traveled all over the world toward the end, uh, you know, with the FBI. And um, I, I was very lucky in my in my life. I really was lucky. Probably I got a few lucky breaks along the way. Didn't have to, but I did. And I'm grateful for them, and I've got some plans in my head for what I'm going to do about paying it forward. And we're looking forward to hearing more from Oliver. What a storyteller, what a life lived. And again, a special thanks to the folks at the Veterans History Project at the Atlanta History Center. And again, we're always looking for stories like this from you, our listeners. And my goodness, what a life well lived after serving in Vietnam, serving in the FBI for 28 years, a free ticket to the show. He said, late in life to children like me, 41 when he had his daughter Caitlin, 42, Victoria Tyler, who is in medical school carrying on a family tradition. But that story of him greeting refugees, I know that one because my immigrant grandparents made me do the same thing. I love what he said about Sergei. He was a wonderful man. He loved his country. He had lost everything in the war. Everything. He also said, Oliver, the country gave my father and his father a home. So true. Oliver Halley's story, here on Our American Stories. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, 
We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.